This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Cat Daniels. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to this right now. It will help me know that I am helping and need to keep going. Please also follow along on social media. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Teachable Soul or Facebook and LinkedIn. You can just search The Teachable Soul. If you'd like to be a guest on our show and share your own teachable moment, feel free to go to the website to schedule a time that works for you. Or you can also email me at theteachablesoul at gmail.com. Thanks. Welcome back to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today I have with me Mr. John Kenny. He is a transformational relationship coach, founder of Interpersonal Relationship Coaching, or IRC, author of the PEO PLE People Program, and public speaker. He also now has a documentary out only available on Amazon called Forget Me Not. Hi, John. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Kat. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure Absolutely. to be here. Yes, wonderful. So I wanted to just go ahead and, and kind of give you an opportunity. So we were going to discuss self-sabotage, Maybe a little bit about kind of how you got where you are today and can start wherever you like. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I could start with self-sabotage because I've got a lot of, <laughs> lot, of stories, <laughs> lot of stories to tell you about self-sabotage. Right. That <laughs> kind of really led me to where I am today uh, mm-hmm. when I realized that I was self-sabotaging. But my, my upbringing was, it wasn't dreadful, but it wasn't very happy. Mm. And I learned a lot of things about myself uh, through the relationships I had when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't very positive ones that I took into my adult life. And because of those ideas I had about myself and how I learned how to do relationships, I then ended up having lots of difficult experiences, toxic and unhealthy relationships. And then everything I kind of turned my mind to, I would mess it up for myself Mm. because I was holding on to ideas about myself, which meant I wasn't allowed to have a successful and happy life, Uh, including an athletics career. So as you would say in this uh, track and field, I was a sprinter mm-hmm. and I ran for the country a few times, but never allowed myself to be as good as I could be. When I stopped that, because I wanted to be a full-time athlete for many years and realized I wasn't going to make it, I sort of didn't really know what to do with myself and mm-hmm. tried a few different things and ended, uh, ended up coming across psychology uh, and counseling. Mm-hmm. When I went to university to try to be a teacher, I didn't like the teaching, but I liked the psychology thing. Then not knowing what to do with myself, I ended up joining the fire brigade and became a firefighter Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because my brother had joined a couple of years before. So I thought that would be a good career move, but realized after a a while, I didn't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, that psychology stuff was fairly interesting. I'll have a look at that again. So I took a counseling training and then ended up passing my qualifications as a counselor and opening my own counseling practice to run alongside my work in the fire brigade about 13 years ago about 
2012, in 2011, I met a coach and we were having a conversation and she made me see that although I really understood my own emotions and where they came from, my life was still a bit, well, it was rubbish, basically. Mm. And, um, and because I was still telling myself the same old story and I was just reliving my life in the same, in the same way, and that's when I trained to be a coach and realised that actually you could tell yourself a different story and you could turn your life around. Yeah. Um, and although it, it took me then a few years to kind of engage in that process and start to believe in myself and turn everything around, after training as a coach, I then did hypnotherapy and NLP and all of that stuff put together enabled me to be a much healthier and happier human being. Right. And here we are today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a great synopsis. <laughs> Can you give me like an example of, of, you know, kind of your thought process a little bit of a time when you were and if it's your relationships or professionally or whatever, where you were kind of just like standing in your own way because you believed that you didn't, you know, couldn't do better or whatever, you know, it was basically that was going on at that time. Yeah. So I think probably a good example of that would be my athletics so I ran for Great Britain a few times. And when I had the opportunity to sort of shine, if I would turn up at a meeting and there was a good chance of me running a good time or winning the event, mm -hmm. then I would put pressure on myself to, or make excuses for myself as to why I ran badly or I just wouldn't run very well. Mm -hmm. I'd get it down in the blocks and I'd be singing a song to myself. I just wasn't able to focus. But then I'd turn up to an event and the weather was terrible um, there were terrible sprinting conditions. There wasn't too much pressure and I'd run really well. Mm -hmm. um, it was all to do with that mindset of now that I know, but what I was actually doing was not allowing myself to, to run to my full potential and, and reach the limit that I could reach. And it was the same with the training. If I was running really well in, in training, I would then do something that would sabotage that. So I'd either go out drinking or I'd start to engage in a relationship which would make me miserable therefore I would take my eye off the ball as far as my training was concerned mm. um, and every time I felt like I was in a good space I would then find something that would mean I wouldn't then follow that through and looking back on it now I know that it was in my subconscious choosing to sabotage my success Right, like self-destructive behavior type thing, but yeah, yeah, in like relationships as well. I had right. several relationships. If I had a, a a nice relationship with someone, I didn't really know what to do with it, so I would do things which would then ruin the relationship. I'd make sure I could push them away in some way, or that I could get away from the niceness and the, the kind of the commitment side of things because I didn't really know how to handle something positive. Mm. Right, turn, of course, turn it, turn it into something negative. So therefore I could walk away from it, but fulfill the idea that, you know, all relationships are rubbish and they all, they're all the same. Yeah. And you were probably kind of stuck in a cycle of like believing that you didn't deserve, you know, a good relationship or, you know, to succeed or, or whatever it was at the time. Right. Yeah, definitely. It was a little yeah. bit of a why, why me attitude. Right. Look at this. This is, this is just what happens to me. Why does it always happen to me? It's always the same, that kind of stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that people deal with a lot, but it's really hard to see in yourself when you're kind of in the thick of it. So what, what kind of pulled you out of that? 
I've, I've been involved with sort of self-development now for sort of 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm. So I had a, I have had a, a really good idea about how I work, but never really understood how I worked. <laughs> um, <laughs> or why right. I was working in the way I was working. And it was about understanding how I saw myself, really, the relationship I had with myself. I remember once I was on holiday and I was a bit drunk and I won this raffle mm-hmm. and I got up on stage to get my prize and the guy said on the stage, what's your name? And I said, John. And I just felt really embarrassed. But at the time, I thought it was maybe because I was on stage, maybe because John's a very common name. <laughs> but I actually realised it was just because I didn't accept who I was. I didn't even like my own name. Mm-hmm. And on reflection, I noticed I thought you know why were you so embarrassed about yourself and it was just standing there in front of all those people I was very uncomfortable with who I was right and when I did my own coaching training and had the sessions with the coach they were able to help me to see the story I was telling myself and then I did a lot of work on belief systems mm-hmm. so when I figured out what my core belief was so my core belief ended up being that I was never going to amount to anything. Mm. And that then fed every other limiting belief that I carried about life, right. relationships and everything else. And mm. when I was able to uncover what my core belief was, I was able to start to tell myself that that wasn't true. It was just a belief. It's just a, a truth. It's not a belief is what I used to say to myself. Uh, what's true is, and then I would make up my own truths. And, ter- and I turned them into my new belief system. And that's how I was able to kind of overcome all of this stuff that was holding me back. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, you mentioned being able to, to realize, you know, how you saw yourself kind of. Mm-hmm. I want to try something with you if, if you'll yeah. want me to. <laughs> of course. So I actually just saw this on like another episode of a TV show or something this morning that where there's these three questions that you can ask anybody and, and anybody can try this at any point in time, but the objective is to kind of see, you know, of course the outcome. So uh, I'll just go ahead and start. So the first question is, what is your favorite animal? Uh, a leopard. That's funny. That's mine too. Okay. And okay. The characteristics about that animal that you like? Uh, I just, I think they're stunningly beautiful. Um, I love the way that they move. Um, um, maybe because they're quite elusive as well. <laughs> elusive, right? Same. Okay. And then um, the second question is to describe a body of water that you like. What is your favorite type of body of water, basically? I would say that my favorite body of water would be a lake. And what I like about the lake is being able to sit and just watch the little waves lapping on the shore. Mm-hmm. Not like the big crashing waves of the ocean. I, I kind of like the little ripples that just the sound that they make as they just lap up against the shore. Yeah, and generally with a lake, they're surrounded by trees. And third question is, what is your favorite article of clothing, and what are the three characteristics about that that you like? This time of year, I've got a a, a furry hoodie that I wear, so I like that because it's comfortable. Right, and it keeps me warm, and it's also a very nice color. It's a very nice blue color. Blue. Blue is my color, I would suggest. So, um, yeah, but it's just very versatile. So the favorite animal is how you view yourself. 
So you mm-hmm. now view yourself as beautiful and elusive, which is apparently a characteristic that you appreciate about yourself. The clothing, the article of clothing is how others view you. So you think that others view you as comfortable, warm, and versatile. And yeah. the body, <laughs> uh, the, the body of water is how you view sex. So okay. <laughs> um, like you appreciate the, the little ripples and kind of the calmness and serenity of it basically. And, and the surroundings as well, which, you know, of course include like the trees or whatever. Leopard is mine also. And it's mostly because I, I really appreciate the elusive and kind of quiet nature, not quiet, but definitely elusive mm-hmm. <laughs> mystery. Okay. You know, it's kind of mysterious. I like that. And they're very gorgeous. And then also was the lake mostly chose lake because I am more like water's really not my thing. I really, really appreciate mountains. And so when I envision a lake though, it's usually surrounded by mountains, which is my favorite. Okay. So, right. yeah. but yeah, I definitely would have chosen hoodie or socks. I like socks. Cause that's, okay. yeah. <laughs> what do socks say about you? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, um, I like socks, but they're warm and, and, I don't like things to touch my bare feet very often. And I really don't like like cold things on my bare feet. I don't know what that says about me, but that's just me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you don't but, like other people viewing your cold feet? <laughs> no, right? No. Yeah. And that's another thing. I don't like feet really. Uh, right. So <laughs> you like them covered. <laughs> yes. So I do like to keep them covered. And when other people yeah. socks, I'm like, ooh, I like your socks. And they're colorful and you can do fun things with them, you know? Yeah. Fun socks. So. <laughs> I guess they can be private as well, can't they? Because they can be you or the only one that knows sometimes. Yeah, true. And since I don't like feed it, it can also probably, you know, bring up something like I don't, um, we could also probably say I, I cover up things I don't like type thing, <laughs> which okay. is entirely true and totally how I tend to be working through some growth. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but thank you for letting me do that. Um, I just, mm. you know, yeah, I like that especially like the the animal and how you view yourself because i think you know even if it's even i really like that question just because you know we often i personally consider myself good at introspection but i think to go deep into introspection can be hard even for me yeah yeah sometimes it can be yeah so i think the favorite animal question you know kind of shows a picture ish of how you view yourself is is can be very helpful so yeah, no, they're a great set of questions. I'm, I'm going to steal those, I think. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great, yeah. And try them on some people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to start doing it to, like, everyone I know, just because I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, so back to self-sabotage. So you were sabotaging yourself, you know, kind of in track and field. And I imagine to some degree you felt like you were sabotaging yourself in professional fields as well, like once you actually realized that's what was happening. Yeah, I kind of gave up really quickly on things. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I've never known what I wanted to do. So even since I was a kid, I never had this dream of being something. And when I found the, the, the track and field, it was, I, I continued to do it. I was very dedicated to it to a certain degree, but it was because I was good at it. Mm. Um, and it fed a sense of self. And although I really did, um, and again, maybe because I wasn't really buying into it wholesale, is why I never allowed myself to be the success I wanted to be. Mm. Um, but yeah, I started a business. This is actually where I met this coach because I was at a networking meeting too when I just started this business. And when things just didn't really go my way, I just gave up on it. 
again, it was all that kind of victim space that I was in. Mm-hmm. That I'm never going to get anywhere and no matter how hard I try, it's never going to work. I gave up after it. it was probably only about seven or eight months. I think I gave up on it. So, yeah, it was only after that. Then, I mean, when I started my coaching business, I've been doing this for as in this guise as it is now with the John Kenny coaching brand. It's been about three and a half years and it's taken me a good two and a half years probably to get to get it up and running the way I want it to be. And, right. you know, if I'd 10 years ago, there's no way I'd have ever persevered. Yeah, it's funny you you mentioned that I've been, I mean, I don't want to like turn this into a personal coaching session or anything, but I think it's something that people deal with as well. But I've kind of been recently analyzing where I'm at and how I got here and things like that. The idea in my head, obsessed with like this quote that says, thing that messes us up the most is the idea in our head of what things should be or how things should be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I did, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how I wanted to get there. I always imagined that I would be this CEO of a giant corporation and I would be this like all powerful, all kind being, which it's interesting to me how I try to combine the two, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's essentially what I thought was going to happen. But I still didn't get there. But, you know, now I also considered myself a quitter to some degree. My parents, well, not my parents, but no, yeah, both my parents. So I would, I would always be allowed to quit when I was a kid. And, you know, now having my own kids, I very much like severely enforce in them. You do not quit. If you don't want to do something, you finish it and then you don't do it again, but you finish it first. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And my husband, (laughs) it's funny because he and I kind of go back and forth on this because he was raised that way. He was raised that he was forced to do things that he didn't want. And, you know, just trying to find the balance. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's hard. Because because you both got different ideas about what you believe is the right thing to do based on your experiences, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was forced to do things that he didn't want to do. And so therefore he was very, he just was adverse to choosing what he wanted to do and then doing that versus being forced to do something that he wanted to do or that he didn't. Sorry. So I had to explain to him, I was like, but here's the deal. You finish things. I have a tendency to still not finish things. But as it turns out, Um, I actually do. I found out recently, (laughs) I figured out, kind of worked out in my head that I do actually finish things and I do do things on my own terms, sort of still. I just, Mm. you know, had this image in my head of things that I had quit when I was a kid because I was a kid. Like, I was a kid. So (laughs) You you hadn't realized as an adult that you are actually following things through. You still had that opinion of yourself that you were a quitter and didn't, didn't do that. Right, exactly, yeah. And it was affecting, you know, things that, like, I, I still kind of had to have a weird <clears throat> relationship with having a desire to quit. Because anytime mm-hmm. a desire to stop or quit something bothers me that I have that desire. Yeah. Yeah. And it stops me from doing the thing I want to do that I know I want to do instead. And so right. I'm currently going through this, this process of, okay, I'm just going to let go of that. Like I'm going to let it bother me and not care and do the thing I know I want to do anyway. And I think it's going to lead to like better things ultimately, obviously, because, you know, if you're doing things that make you happy, then you're going to be happy. 
Yeah, yeah. It's about it's kind of figuring that that process out for yourself, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I, I still sit on the sofa sometimes and just don't do anything. Right. And I think, what are you doing that for? Well, because you're you're self sabotaging. You're sitting there and you know that you're mm-hmm. going to tell yourself off for this. Mm-hmm. So what's your what are you want to do now? And you want to get up. You want to do something. You want to get on with what you know you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And then you'll feel better about yourself. So, so don't just sit there and replay your old stuff. Yeah. Well, and uh, that was another another thing that I kind of struggle with too is that when I when I sit there and don't do things, I self sabotage in the way that I'm sitting there being ang- I'm literally while I'm sitting there not doing anything, I am angry with myself mm. being what I feel is quote unquote lazy, but can sometimes also be productively calm you know like a like a rest like taking a rest or something like that yeah which can be productive but i'm about you figuring out what what that means to isn't it i mean like i'm the same as you sometimes i'm sitting there thinking i I should be doing something and Mm -hmm. actually you've got this is time this is just time to chill just relax you don't have to be doing something here precisely yes It's interesting what you said about the should. So those expectations that we build up for ourselves or other people build up for us. Tony Robbins says that people go around shooting all over themselves. <laughs> because we, do, we, are, we are generally, we're driven by our shoulds and our have tos and not really what our wants are kind of delved into for myself and I, I work with my clients on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of always viewed wants as selfish things that you want for yourself, you know? Mm which I, I have a very used to have a very negative point of view, basically on anything that I viewed as a selfish thing. And I didn't. Selfish gets a bad rep, doesn't it? It totally does. Yes. You know, my mom is a nurse and my dad right. taught me to just be very uh, servant oriented, I guess. Okay. Servant. Everyone's, everyone's needs before your own. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just as an adult, I realize, I have realized now why that's great in some instances, but it's not great all of the time. Mm. You need to learn your self-care, don't you? And when it's yeah. appropriate for you, when it's not appropriate for you to to kind of sort of suspend your own needs and for the sake of someone else. Mm-hmm. And if that's serving you in a, in a healthy way or not. Right, exactly. And, yeah. you know, a form of self-sabotage is oh i have to do these things for for other people first yeah or you're sabotaging your own needs and wants and desires and things like that so yeah and you can always end up in that very safe but upsetting and an unhealthy space mm-hmm. yep if you if you don't recognize that that's what you're doing to yourself Right. I think that's the important thing. It's recognizing where your safe space is because as, as kids, we learn safe spaces, and that, even though those safe spaces may be really unhealthy, mm-hmm. and if and if our brain says no, but that's safe, we have a tendency to keep reverting back to that safe space. Although it may make us sad, it may make us angry, mm-hmm. it may make us resentful, whatever it, it that unhealthy emotion is that we attach to it, it still to our brain feels familiar and feels safe, and we right. we need to figure out what that is. Yeah. Um, in order to be able to break that cycle of returning to that space every time. Yeah. And get it's interesting what you said about your parents. My parents were completely, my parents basically didn't care what I did. Oh. <laughs> they, they paid me no attention whatsoever. Even when I was doing the athletics and running for Great Britain, they wouldn't watch me. If I was TV. You know, they didn't ask me how I'd got on. 
Yeah. Um, occasionally they would have come and watch me race, but only if it was a convenience for them most of the mm. time. So they basically just let me get on for anything. Same with my schoolwork. They never checked on my schoolwork or anything. So I kind of learned that I didn't really matter mm. and just learned to sort of be self-sufficient and get on with things, but all the time being quite upset with the fact that nobody was really taking any notice of me and didn't really care what I was doing. Right. And again, that's what I kind of led one of those things I kept doing throughout my life. I've always been very self-sufficient, mm-hmm. um, but desperately wanting someone to step in and, and sort of take notice. Right. You know, but always choosing relationships where I could be self-sufficient and nobody would take any notice. Yeah, of course. That's uh, kind of how that works. <laughs> mm, definitely. It's so weird to say and think about, but so many times people have said, that like we wind up, we basically wind up dating our parents, you know? Yeah. Just, well, dating our idea of relationships, I think. Right. Well. So right. if we've got Which, this, this concept of what a relationship is, then we have a tendency to keep choosing that relationship. And if that's the relationship you learn to have, generally will be the one you had with your parents, you're going to end up dating one of your parents. Right. Because that's your comfort zone, right? Yeah. That's all you know. That's all you know. That's all you know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm always had mm. to survive in that arena or whatever yeah yeah you know you know exactly what it's going to be like even though if you even though you know you're not going to like it mm-hmm. with that awareness kids now i don't have children no no okay no. I, have, I made a choice um, a choice a few years ago that i was never going to be a good parent <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and then i realized it wasn't about uh, whether i was going to be a good parent or not because i knew i could be a good parent i was actually afraid of the loss mm. Because, again, going back to the stuff that I experienced as a kid, loss became a big thing, loss of the relationships with my parents. I kind of realised that to have a child and to... I knew that I'd love that child with everything. Right. That idea of losing that always put me off having children, and I didn't realise that until a few years ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But now I'm in a relationship where, where we, we, we don't want children, so... Mm. Yeah, I think that's um, avoiding loss and, and pain, you know, those those defense mechanisms that we build up. Yeah, I've never been good at losing people, um, mm. but I've always been good at getting rid of people. It's a really strange. Before I got too deep, I would always shut down on um, sort of an avoidant emotional personality. Right. But I knew I couldn't do that with a child. Right. So it kind of always put me off having kids. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, I um I have two kids, but you know, it's it's really just all about balance, but like it's so hard to determine, you know, when to punish and when to let go or if not to punish and you know things like that because they're humans and they're little mm-hmm. humans and and they have, you know, things certainly are not of course fully developed, you know, like their brains and whatnot. Um yeah. But they still they still have feelings, they still have wants and they still have needs. And so like it's even just trying to explain to them sometimes why they're why what they're feeling isn't necessarily right, you know, or or is right, and trying to convince them that what they're doing or what they're saying is right. It's just a hard balance. Yeah, they were very complex, aren't we, human beings? Mm-hmm. Uh, being a parent is a really really uh, complex job. Yeah, um, because you have got to get that balance right between allowing them to explore and do what they want to do and be the person they need to be, and then being able to kind of say, you know, what well, that's maybe not the right thing. Right. Yes, yeah, and it's a difficult balance to strike. But again, it's it's just through experience, I guess, and practice, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah. And, and knowing what worked for you and what didn't work for you, I guess, as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a new, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's like a name for it or anything like that. Sometimes there are names for these things and I just don't know, but there's something that basically you can do or that I try to do as often as I can with my kids is to just, you know, with kids, the, the consequences for their actions are minuscule comparatively to if they were to do things and make mistakes as adults. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so like when my kids, you know, they, they have, I give them a little bit of money for, you know, doing chores and, and things like that. And they have birthday money that they get, of course, and things like that. And so when they want to buy something that is just completely, I mean, to me, it's completely ridiculous, but I'm like, you know what? He's a kid and it's $25 now, or it's $50 of his own money that he wants to spend now that is totally, completely ridiculous, but I want him to spend it now as a kid mm -hmm. so that he doesn't do this as an adult because he can learn now that this is ridiculous. This was ridiculous. He can look back right. on it like I just yeah. $50 on something that I played once, you know, mm. type deal. And I yeah. love, that's what I try to do the most now is just to let them. I think that's an amazing way to look at it is, is to record, like, help them to see the, their own consequences. Because mm -hmm. as you were thinking, talking about that, I was thinking when, you know, a lot of people that I work with and myself, the consequences when I was a kid were really dire. Mm. Um, and it really, again, comes into this sort of idea of self-sabotage. I won't do things because of my fear of consequences. Mm -hmm. But if I learned those consequences myself, because that was a decision that I made for myself, then that would have been a much healthier consequence for me to come to terms with. Right. But I think the way that a lot of people are brought up, and especially the way that I was brought up, is the consequences were enforced, even though you may have not done anything wrong. Right. And you weren't able to kind of figure that out for yourself. You were just told that it was wrong. Mm -hmm. But the, like you say, the way that you're allowing your kids to kind of recognise mm -hmm. now that there are consequences to their actions, and it's for them to decide whether those consequences are uh, serious enough or uh, enough for them to be able to not do that again, I think is a great approach to it. Exactly. Well, thanks. Yeah. Hmm. If anybody has kids, that's, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to do. You guys can try it too. See if it works for you. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so back to self-sabotage, um, mm. um, are a coach now. So is that, is that kind of what you focus on as well for, for other people that you work with? Yeah. So my kind of sort of speciality is relational things mm -hmm. and that in kind of most part that is the relationship that you have with yourself so I work a lot with people that are in toxic and unhealthy relationships because mm -hmm. uh, that was a space I found myself in on, on quite a few occasions mm -hmm. as I was um, when I was a kid but also then when I grew up and chose partners and friends and things like that so right. I work with people that are either stuck in a toxic or unhealthy space or they've got parents that are toxic or unhealthy they keep choosing those types of relationships and want to stop doing that. Don't really understand why they keep doing that and looking at people's personal blocks to success. So that kind of idea, big idea around self-sabotage, having the relationships that you want and the career that you want and helping them to understand where that comes from within themselves and putting things into place that then can change that because there are some relationships, unfortunately, and it's not unfortunate. That's the wrong word. There are some relationships that will be toxic and unhealthy for you that you will choose to keep hold of. Right. Generally, that's family because 
there's a loyalty there or uh, you want to have a relationship with your family even though they may not offer you the best emotionally right uh, and it's about being able to manage that in that mm-hmm. moment and saying okay i know that this is never going to be what i want it to be but i need to manage this within myself mm-hmm. and not buy into the old routines that cause me upset pain anger and everything else will be my experience and that's the kind of same thing with the toxic relationships if with partners it's understanding those root- sort of routines and why you keep going through that and allowing yourself to go through that what's what need are you feeding in yourself by uh, allowing these sort of unhealthy spaces to keep existing in your life so i'm gonna just to give an example i'm gonna kind of let you use me as an example basically so i realized i didn't have the best relationship growing up with my dad and that was due to many different factors but as as i got older I realized that the factors of why I didn't have the best relationship with him were not necessarily exactly as I saw them. So Mm. I had a relationship with him at that point when I was like 16, which was great. I mean, and just, it of course allowed us to have a better relationship um, because I called him and apologized to him basically for allowing certain factors to kind of skew my view of him um, and just told him basically, you know, I want to have a relationship with you and learn about who you are. now and so i was able to and i did and we wound up you know in the end having a a great relationship but there were still things that i noticed in him that he was doing and and um continued to do um Mm -hmm. that were not the healthiest things for anybody to do for anybody including me so um but how i kind of was able to still have a relationship with him and work through that was because i realized I started kind of just separating my views from his and realizing what about my views were connected to what he was telling me and what, what my actual views are now as an adult, because he, what, how he handled situations oftentimes when he didn't like something or when confrontation happened um, was he would just, he would just quit basically and stop. He was having a confrontation And he taught me to do the exact same. If I was having a confrontation and anything ever got heated, he was ignored. You just ignore it. That's what you do. But, you know, of course, as an adult, actually, I had a really great friend that I want to talk about because her name was Karita. And she now owns a horse stable um, that rescues horses out in Kansas. I love her death because she was the one who taught me that if you have a confrontation, you can talk to the other person, even in a confrontational manner, but regardless, you will still feel better after talking about it than Mm. it would if you just ignored it. And so, you know, when he, when my dad would, when I would bring something to my dad for advice, I realized that he was doing that same thing. He was basically telling me to ignore whatever the problem was and Mm -hmm. work through it or, or move past it or go around it or whatever, whatever. And I'm like, but that's not going to solve the problem. <laughs> no, definitely not. In the end. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. And then you just hold on to it all the time because if nothing ever gets resolved, it just sits somewhere right. within, uh, within your subconscious or mm-hmm. within your body or whatever, wherever it might sit. And, and then it will be poked every once in a while to come back or it will relate to something else. And then that other something else will then explode because it's, there's more than one thing in there that's, that's trying to be dealt with. And you're just never able, never able to move on. Which can contribute to self-sabotage. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that thing about confrontation, even if you have 
is that have, it's, it's being able to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So when I work for my couples in, in the coaching, it's about, you know, just because you disagree, you don't have to argue. Mm-hmm. Just because you have a difference of opinion, it's, it doesn't have to be a confrontation. It's just that you can have sit down and you can still have a, a reasonable conversation about something, even if you completely disagree on it. It's just about respecting the fact that you eventually may need to agree to disagree. Yeah. Um, and it depends on the level of the issue that needs to be resolved, but we can mm-hmm. always find a resolution to something. Uh, it's just with two willing people being able to do that. Yeah, I would imagine that coaching couples would probably actually be harder because at least when when one person decides to do something and they go they come to you for coaching or they come to anybody for coaching, they've already decided that that they're going to work through this, but yeah. And so when when two people are having issues, one can decide and of course, you know, how you were raised and things you were taught comes into play, which everybody's raised differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to separately but together you know converge some of those things that are going on inside their heads and and what they're saying out loud yeah i think sometimes it's a benefit as well though because if i work with a client on their own and we talk about the things that they can do in order to move forward but they've got people at home that are allowing that Mm -hmm. um and are unaware of how they could help them or they're they're not willing to help then sometimes it can be trickier for them to move things forward whereas if you're working with a couple and you've got someone there to support you through the change, then sometimes it can actually be easier because you're going back into the environment and you're both focused on helping each other to feel better. So sometimes it can be a benefit. But like you said, if if there's this completely difference of opinion and there's a lot of back issues that are stopping it from moving forward. But again, they're the kind of things that we would work in in the sessions so that we can see what people are bringing from their past into their current relationships and generally what is most enlightening for people I've found recently is actually when they figure out why they got together in the first place. Oh, really? <laughs> um, because if we've come from an unhealthy upbringing, then say, for instance, we grow up being a people pleaser and your partner's growing up being someone that takes all the time and that's their way of dealing with, with their um, insecurities, then they're, they're quite well matched when they first meet because I like to give and you like to take. But after a while, that, that, would, that would generally become too difficult to sustain because I'm going to get fed up with pleasing you and getting nothing in return. And in a lot of cases, people that take a lot aren't really that comfortable with taking. They're just doing it because they feel like they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't really, they want you to stand up to them sometimes. They don't want to get their own way all the time because there's no boundaries in place. It can be sometimes uh, really enlightening to go, oh, you know, that's why we got together in the first place, but that's why this doesn't work now. And then we can look at rebalancing the relationship by um, letting go of those things from the past and choosing a new way to be in the present and then moving forward. Yep, I have definitely experienced that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I'm interested um, a little bit. So the title of your documentary is called Forget Me Not. Is Mm. Is that about your childhood growing up? It reflects in a way. It's a, it's a more of a general idea of childhood. It's um, so I worked with quite a few clients, and one of the things that came up were the idea of who they are and the parts of themselves that they don't let other people see. Um, one was a really good example that comes up is when people have a drink. Who do you become when you've had a bit of alcohol? Right. And what parts of yourself do you allow to be seen when you've had a drink? 
because mm -hmm. those barriers, those, those self-conscious barriers are knocked away by the effect the alcohol has on your brain. And people, it was, it's about that side of yourself that you reject as a kid. So I was always told to stop being stupid, to stop messing about, mm. um, to stop creating a scene. I know all I was doing was just being a kid running around, messing about, showing off a little bit. Right. But I then learned that it wasn't good for me to stand out. It wasn't good for me to be seen. I was stupid. Mm -hmm. So whenever I would sort of stand out in a crowd, I would feel quite embarrassed and feel very uncomfortable and I didn't want people to really see me. Mm -hmm. But then I'd have a drink and I'd be dancing and I'd get on the table or whatever. I didn't really care who saw me because that part of me I'd let go of. I did a little bit more research into this and did some work with some clients and looked at the, my own stuff. And I thought, you know, there are parts of myself that I rejected as a child because I was taught in my environment that I grew up in that they didn't fit. Mm -hmm. And I don't accept those parts of my personality. And I found out that a lot of my clients were doing the same thing. There were parts of their personality they didn't accept because they were taught as kids that it just didn't fit into the environment they were growing up in. Yeah, we were all kind of brought up to like fit into a box, I feel like. Yeah, yeah you're told what fits into what your parents or your, your caregivers, you, you, they want you to fit into their box because that's where they're comfortable. You know, we could then turn on ourselves and say, well, actually, if my parents didn't like that bit of myself, and well, neither do I. And I'm mm -hmm. not going to let that part be seen again, but it's in there. Uh, and it's about bringing those parts back and allowing all of your parts of your constituent self and your personality to be seen. And for you to start to become more comfortable and not leave that part of your child's self behind any longer. And that's the kind of premise of, of the documentary. Oh, okay. Um, as well as it kind of, you know, it goes through, there's a coach, there's some coaching parts to it as well, which help people to kind of say, okay, what can I do? about putting this bringing this part of me back together again yeah yeah and kind of just being authentic and, and being yourself because ultimately standing out and being just who you are is you know what's going to serve everybody else in the end as well exactly exactly and, mm -hmm. and if you're if you're the happiest and healthiest that you can be then everybody around you will benefit mm -hmm. and if they don't see those benefits or don't buy into this idea of you being happy and healthy then they need to be on your, uh, on your, I'm not going to talk to them anymore list. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's where we come into, again, back to that idea of family. If it's family that's doing that, you need to then work out how you're going to manage it. Even though they might be. Yeah. Both sides of my family tend to, if you're, if they have an issue with you, they, they just avoid confrontation and, and then don't talk to you anymore. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so unhealthy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Just addressing what the problem is and being able to get it, get it done mm -hmm. and dusted and get it out of the way. And most of the time they can. It's hardly, hardly anything that really needs to end the relationship. But I guess it's, it depends on the importance and the meaning that we give to certain things. But most things can be resolved. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it can as long as you just attempt to talk about it. And nine times out of ten, you are blowing up in your mind, whatever it is, uh, far larger than it ever really is. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, it comes back to meaning, I think. If you give meaning to something, then you have an emotion about it. Generally, if you don't give anything a meaning, you don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if something's going on and I give it a meaning, that will elicit some kind of emotion inside of me. And if that emotion overrides my rational thought or the actual circumstances that I'm in, then my emotions are going to take over and it's all going to get blown out of proportion. That's about reflecting then again, what does that really mean to me? in order for me to be feeling that way or what it might it mean to them 
Um, mm -hmm. So you can maybe help yourself to understand someone else and say, okay, what meaning are they giving this that they're blowing this completely out of proportion? Right. Uh, and if you can understand them a bit better, then you can know, okay, well, I can see why they're doing that. And that helps you to maintain your calm, rational space without going into maybe the stuff that would usually trigger you too. Yeah, reflection in general, whether it be on yourself or even, you know, just reflection about how others could feel is, is definitely a large key. And I think that's the great thing about learning about yourself. If you learn about yourself, then you can understand the reasons why you feel and do what you do. And if you've got that self-reflection, you can then start to go, actually, you know, if I feel like that because of this, why? I can see that maybe they feel like that because of that. And again, you can take away that personal stuff. It's not about you. It's about them and it's about saying, okay, I can understand that a bit more now. How do I want to deal with it? It may not still be acceptable and it's okay for you to address it, but saying, do you know what? I can see why they do that and that doesn't really need to bother me anymore. Well, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me. I really appreciate it. And I hope that, you know, everybody gets some, some much needed therapy or coaching or, you know, whatever you're, you're seeking or needing in your life right now. Because I certainly know, you know, it definitely, we talked about a lot of things that I think a lot of people deal with. And Go out and find some help if you need it. Don't be mm -hmm. afraid to ask for help. Um, I know it's a difficult step sometimes because you're going to be addressing things that you might not want to address. But if you can find yourself the right person to help you, then they will enable you to work through that as well. All right. Well, also, if you want to go ahead and tell people about your website or any other th projects that you have coming up or going on, please feel free to do that. Thank you. So although it's going <laughs> to, I'll tell you about the next project, but it's in the UK. So I'm not sure how many people will be able to get there. Um, my next sort of personal self-development event, uh, we're calling it the Life Mastery event. I'm putting on in, in May. So that I'm really looking forward to that. It's the first multi-speaker event that I put on myself. That's exciting. Um, it's just going to be around personal development and well-being. And that's going to be held in London. So okay. if there's anyone listening that's in the UK and you want to get in touch for tickets for that. As far as anything else is concerned, I do a regular blog and newsletter and stuff. So if people are interested in that, they can contact me via the website, which is johnkennycoaching.com. And that's K-E-N-N-Y. Um, you can also watch the trailer for the documentary on there. And, and there's a synopsis and some feedback and stuff for the book too. Yeah, but I'm more than happy to hear from anybody that wants to pick my brains about anything relational mm. and self-sabotaging. Can they get the, the tickets for that on johnkennycoaching.com? Is that where they get the tickets from? Once the, I'm actually meeting with my website guy. He's building me a landing page at the moment, so it's not actually up. If people just want to drop me an email and just ask me when the tickets are available, then I'll just put them on the mailing list. There's free tickets anyway, so it's a free event for people to come along to. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah, we like to sort of spread the message as far and wide as possible. Yeah, absolutely. When talking about like doing self-reflection and mental health and all that good thing, all those good things, it, it you know, it, it kind yeah. of free. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We like to give it Nobody for free. And then if people want to take it further, then obviously they can work with me or we give like five or six hours of free content for people to kind of, that they can take away and start to work on things that way. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much again. And I love talking to you. I hope to speak to you again in the future yeah thanks for having me on it's been a pleasure yes thank you and you be good to yourself if you like what you hear please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to this right now 
It will help me know that I am helping and need to keep going. Please also follow along on social media. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Teachable Soul or Facebook and LinkedIn. You can just search The Teachable Soul. If you'd like to be a guest on our show and share your own teachable moment, feel free to go to the website to schedule a time that works for you. Or you can also email me at theteachablesoul at gmail.com. Thanks. Thanks.